The Illinois Senate has been back at the State House, and it passed some significant legislation this week. The House, meanwhile, has continued to hold remote committee meetings and won't be back in Springfield until mid-April. We'll catch up with what's been happening on this edition of CapitalCast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and I'm here with the Capital News Illinois team, Sarah Manser, Tim Krasininkas, Grace Barbick, and our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. So, Jerry, let's start with you. One of the things that happened this week was Governor J.B. Pritzker getting his COVID-19 vaccination. This happened at a time when there have been some concerning increases in hospitalizations and infection rates. A couple of weeks ago, it looked like we were nearing the end, but now people are talking about a possible third wave. Uh, Where do we stand, Jerry? Yeah, um, today the governor announced they're sort of expanding some mobile vaccine teams and counties can go ahead if they have a low vaccine um, sort of line at this point, if not too many people are signing up, they can go ahead and just go expand to everybody 16 and older at this time. Um, But the positivity rates are increasing now. Um, The one we've been tracking for a long time, the case positivity rate is 2.9%. Just only on March 13th, that number was 2.1%. Hospital beds in use for COVID, there was Uh, 1,300 um, as of Thursday night, and that's the highest number since February 26th. That's the first time we're over 1,300 since um, the end of February. So uh, the numbers are ticking up. Hopefully we can start getting more vaccine in arms and, uh, you know, that some of these cases won't be as deadly or whatever. So hopefully... So a while back, uh, Governor Pritzker talked about entering what was called a bridge phase, the bridge between phase four and phase five. Uh, Are we in jeopardy of not being able to make that? Yeah, I wonder if we can kick it to Grace. Maybe she wrote an article about this uh, this morning, actually, while we were otherwise busy. Grace, what do you know about that? Yeah, so um, currently... You know, some of the metrics in order to um, go over from phase four to phase five in this bridge gap um, is that 70% of residents age 65 or older need to be vaccinated, at least their first dose. And so, you know, we started, we're starting to near towards that 70%. Um, I think today Pritzker said we're at about 67% of those residents are meeting that, um, that metric, but it's the concerns of the rising hospitalizations that are holding us back from going to that next phase. Um, so they need to monitor it, at least for these the, this 10-day period that they're looking at where they're seeing this rise, especially um, in Northern Illinois, suburban Cook County and Chicago area, especially. Um, so, you know, they're keeping their eye on that right now to see if this is sort of just an uptick or if it's going to be, um, you know, turned into a bigger resurgence of cases. So they're just being very cautious right now. Okay. Well, I guess we can throw in a little public service announcement. Remember that the more people who get vaccinated, 
the fewer places there are for this virus to land and the fewer chances it has to mutate into possibly more contagious or even more deadly strains. So please, if you have access to get a vaccine appointment, do it as quickly as possible. Uh, it's also worth noting that this last week, Illinois recorded the smallest number of people, I'm sorry, the smallest number of people filing first-time unemployment claims since the pandemic began. And the Department of Employment Security announced that the state's unemployment rate dropped three-tenths of a point in February to 7.4%, which is still very high, but at least trending in the right direction. And the biggest job gains over the month were in the leisure and hospitality industry, which was just absolutely decimated by the pandemic. So at least those are some positive signs moving in the right direction. Uh, Sarah, now I want to turn to you and get back to legislative business. Uh, one of the things that uh, happened this week was that the Senate gave final passage to a voting rights law. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so the law, or the, or the the bill that passed both chambers, um, makes permanent changes that were made in the 2020 general election. Those changes involve um, uh, allowing election authorities to use drop boxes for mail-in ballots. So right now, um, if if a voter wants to turn in a mail-in ballot, they um, have to have enough postage and put it in the mail or they can return it to their election authority. But now this allows um, election authorities to put drop boxes in various locations throughout the county so that voters can simply um, put them put their ballots in these drop boxes and not necessarily have to worry about postage. That was another element of this uh, bill that election authorities have to accept mail-in ballots with no postage or not enough postage. And it also allows election authorities to use curbside voting for um, people who are still uh, very concerned about COVID and, and don't want to go inside the polling place. They can uh, fill out their ballot from their from their vehicle outside the polling place. Okay, so those drop boxes were something we all became familiar with in the 2020 elections. This essentially makes it permanent, right? Yes, that's right. And and with the drop boxes, election authorities don't have to. It doesn't. It gives them discretion to to use drop boxes if they so choose. Um, but a lot of county clerks said that you know it was a very useful tool, and so um, that was one of the reasons why this this bill passed. Now this is happening at a time when a lot of other states are passing. Uh, what are perceived as more restrictive voting laws, uh, Georgia among them. Uh, President Biden had some pretty harsh words for that state law. Uh, what did the governor say about that? Yes, he was critical of the law that was passed in Georgia. He said that Georgia is the most egregious example of voting rights being restricted, but far too many states are making it hard to vote. And then he went on to praise Illinois for uh, expanding voting right or accessibility to voting in the state. Now, you also wrote about another bill that got uh, that cleared both chambers this week. Um, 
and it might sound a little arcane to a lot of people, it had to do with prejudgment interest. Uh, and this has to do with civil lawsuits over malpractice or wrongful death or personal injury, things like that. Uh, what is this and why is it important? Yeah, it, it seems kind of like a niche thing for trial lawyers who practice personal injury law. And like you said, it would it affect cases involving personal injury, medical malpractice, wrongful death cases. And it essentially um, allows for a victim who has filed a personal injury case to um, collect interest on the verdict that is eventually if it is if the, a verdict is eventually awarded in their case so this law doesn't apply to settlements in those cases it only applies to court cases that reach a a money verdict and so um this would the, the intent of the law is to to incentivize settlements so that um, hospitals and other healthcare providers that are sued and other companies don't draw out the litigation at the to the detriment of the personal injury victim. Um, but opponents of the law say that it will just raise the costs for businesses in the state and drive them out. Um, but on the other hand, the trial lawyers say that this is necessary for victims to um, get justice in their cases. Now, the governor actually vetoed an earlier version of that bill that had passed, I believe, during the lame duck session in January. Uh, has he given any indication about how he feels about this one? Um, I Yeah, he, he did veto that, that bill, and that bill that passed in the lame duck, um, it had a 9% interest, and this, this bill has a 6% interest. So uh, one, one of the things, one of the um, issues he raised in his veto message was that 9% was too high compared to other states with similar laws. So um, it would appear that, that this is, uh, this, this will be something that he puts his signature on. <laughs> okay. And I want to turn to Grace now, uh, speaking of the lame duck session and things that didn't get out of it. Uh, you wrote about one that they finally did get passed, uh, a major health care reform law. Uh, can you tell us what uh, what was in that and why that was so important? Yeah, so as you stated, um, this was a massive health care reform bill, and it would signify the fourth and final pillar of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus agenda. Um, and so, you know, there was some language issues, and it didn't end up passing through the lame duck session, but was reintroduced in this session. Um, it passed through the House, and then um, just this week, it passed through the Senate as well. Um, and it looks specifically at a number of different issues um, centered around uh, race-based inequities in the healthcare system. So just to touch on some of the, the issues that it addresses specifically um, is access to healthcare, managed care organization reform, community healthcare worker certification, maternal and infant mortality, um, as well as mental and substance abuse treatment and medical implicit bias. Um, one of the immediate um, sort of issues that it addresses is also hospital closures. Um, so, you know, if this bill were to become a law, um, they would sort of extend the moratorium for hospitals because a lot of these closures were seen in these low income areas. Um, so the bill just wants to make sure that um, black communities and co communities of color and low-income communities um, have access to health care 
as the pandemic continues. Okay. Also and on that one, uh, Peter, it's also um, some of the more uh, the bill, the portions of that bill that would cost money, uh, it made them subject to appropriations by future general assemblies. So none of the spending really is guaranteed in, in many of the areas. So a lot of that bill will be up to future uh, general assemblies to decide which portions uh, receive the funding uh, to make it work. Yeah. And there was actually a lot of concern about that on the Republican side um because what what was the total cost estimate it was in the eight billion dollar range somewhere around there uh yeah it was something like that the the, the um democrats kind of disputed it but uh it seems like billions certainly billions is what they're looking at uh out of a state that has a uh, governor has proposed a 41 billion dollar budget so that would be very substantial uh, Tim, I want to turn over to you. Uh, another thing that happened in the lame duck session was the passage of a major criminal justice reform law. But one of the things they pulled out of that uh, had to do with limiting what's called um, qualified immunity for police officers. Uh, but then that that one actually got through this past week. Uh, how did they get that through? And tell us what that means. So yeah, the, uh, as you mentioned, this was a proposal that was originally part of that omnibus uh, criminal justice reform package that passed out of the legislature uh, earlier on in, in January. Uh, but as we close in on the, the one year anniversary of the killing of George Floyd at the end of May of last year, um, there really has been kind of renewed uh, sense of focus on ending what a lot of activists really cited as one of the contributing factors uh, to that instance uh, that happened in Minneapolis last year. Um, and that was a big uh, part of the argument that was set forth by Representative uh, Curtis Tarver, who introduced the bill, as well as representatives from the uh, ACLU of Illinois, that really uh, that protection and that, uh, that immunity under the law of being protected against civil lit litigation that a lot of police officers have emboldens them to perhaps take kind of reckless uh, steps that contributed to that type of situation. And Representative Tarver brought up a couple of other situations that occurred here in Illinois as well, um, and really kind of has sparked a new interest in, in getting this done. Um, there were representatives from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police and the Sheriff's Association who said that uh, passing this would not be the right approach and that the legislation that was passed in January has already contributed to police officers not wanting to take jobs in Illinois. Uh, but Tarver said that's a big part of the reason why that the legislation is referred to as the Bad Apples and Law Enforcement Accountability Act. Is The argument is that if uh, police officers are protecting and serving their communities uh, tr truly uh, and rightfully under the law, there should not be any bad apples. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the legislative black caucus can continue to uh, use their political capital and uh, get this done here uh, before the end of the spring session. Okay. And uh, I guess to help out some people, I guess the general concept here is that public officials generally are immune from civil liability for acts they commit in their official capacity. Uh, it applies to mayors and city councils and firefighters and trash collectors and uh, 
up and down the line. Uh, but in the world of police enforcement, which is often involves violence uh, and you know forcibly taking people into custody, there's been concern that this has been abused over the years. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay, well, thanks for that reporting, Tim. And we're going to leave it at that for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. And feel free to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Pandora, Stitcher, and many more. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.